Good afternoon. This is Michael Vandervoort, along with my lovely co-host, Robin Schooling. Robin, happy post-4th of July work week. How are you today? Happy uh, post-4th of July. I am good. I am, of course, confused because it feels like Monday, even though it's Tuesday, so I'll be confused all week. And, uh, you know, that's okay. Yeah, I hear you. I went on vacation a week ago last Thursday, and so every day last week was either Saturday or Sunday for me, it seemed like. I, I kept... Yeah. I kept coming back to, yeah, so it's, it's yeah, I went back to the office today as well and have the same sort of Twilight Zone feeling. So that that's a, that's an excellent way to uh, walk into this week's uh, double booked episode of Drive Through HR. We're doing shows simultaneously today, along with our partner, Crystal Miller, and another guest on another channel. So uh, <laughs> we, we, had a, we had a busy calendar coming off the 4th of July. Um, we're really excited. Our guest today is uh, from the conference board, and his name is Paul. Washington. Paul, welcome to Drive Through HR. Thanks so much for joining us. Delighted to be here and delighted that this week is an everyday composed of Monday for you. So, <laughs> we we got by we got by Monday and tomorrow is hump day. So that means it's a short week and then we can go into the weekend again. So that's awesome. We are going to talk about, I think, a very um, a very interesting and timely topic today. Um, and that is the, I guess the issue of, I don't know if it's an issue so much as it is a, the growing trend, I guess is probably a better way to say it. The growing trend that we're seeing of companies becoming more and more directly involved in political issues and um, situations occurring in society that they may have tended to stay away from in the past. Um, and I think there are a number of reasons uh, about why that's happening. But Paul, Paul has a, a very interesting background and has dealt deeply with this. So before we go into the topic, uh, Paul, why don't you go ahead and um, give us your uh, bio? Uh, sure. Happy to do so. So currently, I'm executive director of the ESG Center at the Conference Board. And for your listeners who don't know, the Conference Board is actually the world's leading nonprofit, nonpartisan think tank that's dedicated to serving business and society. We've been doing it since 1916. At the ESG Center, we focus on corporate governance, corporate citizenship, and sustainability. And so we offer a range of programs, research, and so forth to both our members and to the public at large. I joined the conference board a couple of years ago after a nearly 20 year career at the media company where I worked with the board of directors and with our CEO on all of those issues. So, uh, and that was a career that spanned going from the disastrous AOL merger, then eventually to the merger with AT&T and almost every possible kind of crisis you could have in between. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fantastic! That the disastrous AOL merger is a good way to to put it. Yeah, it's uh, there, there's so many opportunities for business to go sideways on a daily basis anymore. It seems. Um, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and start start the discussion. Though it looks like Robin has to uh, deal with a dog issue. The the joys of live radio. Um, and it, as I said at the outset, it seems like there's been a sudden rush. Uh, it see, I think when we look at it. It, it seems that way, but I, I suspect that that's not really true. But corporations are state are staking out positions on social and political issues on a pretty regular basis now, and it, it's it, it and it has some really interesting implications for their brand and and other 
other types of pressure. So, so Paul, why don't you get us started by talking about what what's actually happening and why we're seeing this become so prevalent, it seems, right now? Sure. You know, you can go back a decade or so ago and you could see companies starting to take stands on issues such as marriage equality. So there was a flurry of activity around same-sex marriage a while back, and then things settled down for a while. But we've really been seeing a growing trend over the last few years of companies taking stands on social issues, and often those social issues are also political issues, issues such as racial equality, gender pay equity, um, you know, Black Lives Matters, a whole range of, of topics. And it really did accelerate through the pandemic. Um, and I think the driving forces behind that, the sort of tectonic shifts, if you will, are really a declining trust in government, and in fact, in media, and an increasing level of trust in corporations. And so employees who are looking to make change in this world are seeing companies as you know, logical advocates for them. Um, they're also seeing that they want their company to be a place that shares their values. And so they're looking primarily to their companies now, even more than to government to effectuate social change. So, uh, and and that, 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 ha that leads to all sorts of com potential complications and issues. So I guess, I guess um, maybe the best place to start with that, that ominous statement is let's talk about the, the risks of that. Um, for I guess for the companies, but also for the employee groups, if there is one. Um, sure, that's a, it's a great question, and there are a lot. So I'll, I'll limit my answer to the the main ones. Um, the the one of the risks is that if you take a stand on a social issue, a controversial one in particular, or depending how you take it, you can make it controversial. Um, you can face a backlash from the people who disagree with you, whether it's employees or customers or others. The second risk, and it's even bigger, frankly, is that you can face a negative reaction from employees and others who think you didn't go far enough or who actually think you're speaking on an issue without credibility. So mm -hmm. it stands on racial equality, but your board and your senior management are lily white. That's, that's a risk you run. You also run the risk in this environment of uh, conflating the CEO's views with the company's views. And that, that is problematic in a number of ways, including making the company seem as if it's just a mouthpiece for the CEO and sometimes getting involved in highly partisan debates. Um, all of these risks though, are things that companies can mitigate if they have clear criteria and a clear process for taking stands on social issues, and then that they're transparent with their employees and other stakeholders about what those criteria and uh, process maybe. You know, and that's, I, I find that um, that's such an interesting thought of thinking of conflating the CEO's views and or persona with how does that impact the company? Because for, it seems quite some time now, I've, uh, I've fairly regularly posed the question to my fellow HR peers of, gee, imagine being the HR leader or an HR staff member at um, the MyPillow company. 
Right. I can't even imagine. Um, right, and it can go both. Like. <laughs> yeah, and it can go both ways on either side of the political exactly. spectrum. And so you you really want to avoid that. And one of the tricky things is that your CEO is usually your best spokesperson on these issues because they can speak credibly to your employees, to your customers, to your investors, to the media, right? So he or she is going to be your best person to speak in many cases, but it's got to be very clear they're speaking on behalf of the company and not on behalf of themselves. Um, I want to go back to, to one thing you mentioned, um, and this seems that this, I mean, this will probably influence our discussions as a society for, you know, the, the next decade. Um, it is, you mentioned that this was sort of um, accelerated. I don't know if that was your term, Paul, but the, the this trend was accelerated by COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, or I, I, what, 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 where, where was the driver there? Well, I, I think a few things. First of all, um, employee health and safety became a much more important issue for everyone, including boards of directors. We did a survey at the outset of the pandemic and found that after liquidity, that is having enough cash to stay in business, hmm. employee welfare was the number one issue for boards of directors last spring when the pandemic hit. Um, so I think there was a focus on that. And then of course, the murder of George Floyd really accelerated matters where companies felt um, in many cases a moral obligation to speak up. You know, apart from any political calculus or anything else, they felt a moral obligation to speak up about racial equality. And frankly, you know, it's only continued since then, including on things, issues such as the, the January 6th attack on the US Capitol or voting rights legislation since then, that companies are, are being put in a position by their employees and sometimes others, um, and, and not just rank and file employees, senior management, members of your board of directors are calling up the CEO and saying, are we gonna take a stance on this issue? So the pressure is coming, frankly, internally from all levels of the organization, the board, senior management, and employees. Robin, were you going to ask something? No, no. Okay. So, Paul, I'm curious, given that, is there, is there an, so, so like, so you you mentioned the, the January 6th events and then things that have transpired since then and, and the vote, the voter suppression laws, uh, et cetera. These are all, um, these all require taking a certain stance, whether it's we're not going to contribute to people who supported the January 6th um, insurrect, you know, whatever you want to call it, insurrection or, or, or capital, capital uh, rally. Uh, and the same for um, the same in many southern states in particular, um, where, you know, people are saying, uh, you know, Coca-Cola was, a, I think, one of the targets that they were they weren't taking a, a strong enough stance and also Delta Airlines. I, I, I don't live in Georgia anymore, but I lived there for the last five years or so. So I pay attention still. Are, are, is there a, I mean, so this, this puts the, a company in a pretty tight squeeze when they, when they choose to take a position because they are, they're not only now the target of two different sides, those who support them and those who think that they've sold out to the other side or whatever the, the position might be, but also they have to kind of live with the consequences or the, the responsibilities of their decision. So like how, how does a company uh, begin to approach this and how do they understand sort of the long-term implications? I think there's probably six questions there, but I'll, I'll let you parse it out. Well, let, let me 
start with where they might want to start, right? So I think first having clear criteria for when you're going to take a stand, whether you're gonna take a stand is an important place to begin. Um, and the things to consider are your company's values, but you know, that's pretty flexible and every employee thinks that the company's values should reflect their values. So mm. if that doesn't really narrow it down. I think you also need to look at things like the connection between the issue and your business. So there may be social issues that have relatively little to do with your business or even your constituencies. So maybe it's one you don't take a stand on. I think another thing to consider is whether you can have an incremental impact by taking a stand on it. Um, I think you do want to look at the impact that it could have on the company's reputation, on its financial performance and so forth. But I think having a set of six or seven criteria that you look at and, and say, these are the things that are gonna guide our decision-making. The second thing that's really helpful is to have an internal group. It can sometimes be, there's some companies like Corning that have actually set up a standing office uh, reporting to the CEO's office about taking stands on social issues. Other companies, no longer are pulling together sort of this ad hoc group and okay, we've got to scramble to make a response, but they've got a standing committee that will vet the social issues that are going to take a stand on. And then you want to make sure that everyone knows what the criteria and process are to set expectations. So not every employee thinks you're going to take a stand on, on every issue. So I think those are ways to, to get started on this. Um, and then I think the, you know, as companies move ahead on this, they will probably want to, um, I, I don't even like using this term, but be more strategic about it. So don't just be reactive, but actually have a statement that's sort of a standing statement of this company's position on, on social issues, on equality, whatever it might be. And then that's a, a document you can refer back to when a crisis occurs. You could say, as you know, the company has taken this stand it's been approved by senior management, maybe even by your board of directors, that this is what we stand for as a company. Yeah, because it, it, it seems like a big, uh, a big elephant to, to eat if you're going to try to tackle every issue that comes your way, and especially if you're reactive. So I think that idea that you know, you have a document that sort of expresses your values and, and probably drives back to your basic culture, I would think. Some your whatever the cultural values that you have for your organization, whatever they are, probably your your stances on these types of issues probably need to be reflective of that. Um, um, so yeah, very, very much so. I mean, I think one thing that companies can do too to help mitigate the risks is make sure that your the language you use is both empathetic because what might be new or news today is not news to the people who are suffering from discrimination or something like that. It's been going on for you know decades, if not centuries, right? And so you want to be empathetic and, and recognize that, but you also want to be inclusive. You want to ground your response in the company's values, in the company's language, in the company's cultural DNA, as you suggested, and avoid polarizing or partisan terms, because that's where companies can also go awry. Robin? Yeah, the, you know, and I think the challenge is that um, for some for some issue that should, you know, it should be nonpartisan, have become very partisan and politicized, right? Um, and, and looking back to 
we entered a global pandemic. We think we're all in it together. We move into this phase last, you know, late spring where um, there start to be requirements for mask wearing. Something that one should think would be a health issue shouldn't be down a political line become became very politicized. And I, you know, it's such a, you know, there's, there's this sort of, you know, health issue behind it. Um, but I know so many folks, the, you know, HR folks who often have been the ones sort of messaging out to employees that um, have had pushback from their employees on something very straightforward, one would think, right? We're going to require masks for those that have been back in the office for some time, right? You know, come back into the office, you're going to be wearing masks. And, and people just, employees that pushed back on that from a, a political standpoint and pulling out their various often, um, you know, conspiracy laden um, theories on why this was good, bad, or indifferent. Um, I mean, how, how does one go about um, disputing, <laughs> if you will, with people who, you know, or, or arguing, if one will, with people who don't want to, um, don't want to listen to any other thinking? I think that has been probably a, a huge challenge. It is a huge challenge and you touched on something else too, which is that there are almost no nonpartisan issues anymore. Right, social right. Issues. I mean, there are some things that certainly should transcend politics, like racial equality, like standing against anti-Asian violence. Like these are things that you would think that are not right or left, Democrat, Republican, they are just essential, forget American values, they're essential human values, right? right? And so I think for companies, it's really important for them to, to in many cases, ground this as much as they can in, um, in science and ground it in their own, the experience they want their own companies to have. I'll tell you at Time Warner, for example, we were a media company. And so we were very hesitant to take stands on social issues because we didn't want CNN, which we, which we owned, to be tarred by whatever position corporate might take. So this goes back to the time of uh, the debates over same-sex marriage. And we knew we were gonna hear from an employee at our annual shareholders meeting about this topic. And so what we did is we, we as a company didn't go out and take a stand with New York legislation or so forth, but we did say at the shareholders meeting that we believe all of our employees should be treated equally when it comes to the opportunity to marriage. And so we, we phrased it in terms of our employees' welfare and um, doing what we thought was right for employees and being inclusive in our language. Um, and, and that actually went over just fine. I mean, I think that's a, it's a few years ago. Now you might get more blowback from it, but it's important for companies in some ways to armor up for this sort of thing. You know, don't go way off your, your comfort zone. Don't go off and take stands on issues that have nothing to do with your business, nothing to do with your employees. Don't be this roving, you know, sort of social activism agent. Like that's not gonna work out probably well for you. But when you do take a stand, be prepared for mm -hmm. backlash from not going far enough and from going too far 
and, and you know, learn from the reaction because maybe you could phrase things better, um, engage in dialogue because that's helpful, um, but don't back away from your fundamental principles. Is there a way, Paul, um, is there, in the research that you've done, I guess I'm curious, is there a, is there an approach that companies have developed that is sort of best practice or is, is this still so new that it's like, so, so like it, should it go through the board of directors or should it start with the CEO or does it start in the, you know, somewhere further, I, like how, how, did, how do you decide to do this? I guess is what I'm kind of trying to, how do you know when you have an issue and how do you know you want to recognize it? It's a great question. And I think the best practices here are still emerging. And frankly, there will be a range of practices. There will be companies as there are now who just say, this isn't our business. Um, and we're going to let it be up to others to speak out on social issues and we're just not going to do it. There are other companies that are purpose-driven, whether it's focusing on environmental or social concerns, and they're going to be at the other end of the, the scale. Um, you know, you asked about the board. I think this is an area where boards probably need to become more engaged, but kind of carefully. So when you think about political activity, um, boards have traditionally focused for many years now on your financial contributions to candidates, whether they're coming from the company or from the employee funded PAC. So they've been actively involved in overseeing that and sometimes even adopting policies that will govern it. Um, they've been less involved in the lobbying. The social side, boards have been less involved. And I think if you're going to be saying, this is our company policy on social issues, whether it's taking no stands at all, or these are the criteria we're going to use, I think it's useful to have that conversation with your board. Your directors serve at other, the number of other companies, they probably reflect at least something of a diversity of political viewpoints. So engaging your board, at least at a general policy level, I wouldn't have them involved in every issue because that will only lead to a distracted and factionalized board. But engaging your board at a, at a sort of more strategic overall issue is in fact a, a best practice. Yeah, you know, I, I was just reading an article this morning from um, from a few weeks ago, um, where uh, you know some third party, you know, uh, corporate accountability sort of accountability group had gone in and taken a look at um, you know very large corporations that have, of course, during Pride Month. Um, you know, promoted, you know, these are our beliefs in equality and, and, you know, we've got rainbow banners and badges and flags and we're doing this and we're doing that. And it's, and it's speaking to the humanness of people. And, and this is what we do for our employees, but yet at the same time, um, and what's been found out. And so now these, their boards of directors and <laughs> leadership teams, everybody's dealing with this is, well, but you also are now being called out because simultaneously you have given X hundreds of thousands of dollars to legislators across the country who are very anti-LGBTQ. So it's, yeah, you know, the, yeah, is the board of directors going to be in there in the weeds? No, but yeah, do they need to know and be cognizant of the, the dissonance that can, that can happen if messaging is one thing to candidate messaging, employee messaging, customer messaging, or whatever. And then there's these other things that, that may be going on. Um, yeah. And that's, look, and there's 
there's a lot of education to be done, I think, with employees to an engagement with employees. It's not just one way. It's not top down. It's really engagement. Yeah. Um, because I think we all know it's hard enough for a company to act itself in a way that are consi that's consistent with the company's values, right? As soon as you introduce third parties, whether it's a, an elected federal or state official, or it's a third party um, trade organization or something, they're often going to take stands that are not consistent with your company values. And it may be, you know, impractical um, to cut off dialogue or funding, even for those people with whom you might vehemently disagree on some important issues. And so I think mm -hmm. educating your employees and others, engaging with them and saying, look, this is, this is, this is the world we have to operate in, and this is how we're going to approach it. And there may be people that are just so terrible on these issues in view of what the company believes in that we're not going to um, provide them with contributions or we're gonna do something else. But I think there's a, there's a real um, opportunity to have that conversation with employees so that they have realistic expectations because you know, almost anyone you give money to, whether it's an organization or an individual or a campaign is gonna have something that may disagree with your company's values and certainly is going to disagree with some of your employees' values, right? So yeah, I think yep. there's part of it. The other thing that companies are doing, and this is really interesting, is some of them are actually enlisting their employees in meeting with policymakers. Hmm. So if they're doing that on a business issue, so they're going to lobby Congress and they're bringing their employees with them, right? And hmm. it can be a very powerful experience. First, the employees can speak sometimes with greater authenticity than your paid Washington lobbyist can. No, 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 you know, aspersions cast on those lobbyists, but you know, you're Much actually hearing from employees back in the <laughs> asperger way, right? But you're you're actually hearing from the employees from back in the district, right? Or back in the state. And so that could be really powerful and as as people who are conveying your message. But the other thing is it has a wonderful effect in engaging and educating employees about the process and understanding what the company's going through when it's thinking about what stances it's going to take. That's, I think that's really relevant um, mm -hmm. comment. I think that that's because, because it, I mean, the, there, there is every, every, every issue is a baby split with bathwater because there's always going to mm -hmm. be, there's no way to, there's no way to not have this happen, it seems. Um, and you're, you're always going to be open to criticism. So, so we've spent approximately 24 minutes on the risks. <laughs> which, which, and, and probably haven't done it anywhere near the justice to the topic. But let's let's switch over, and and you know, companies aren't just doing this because all of a sudden somebody woke up one day and said, "Yeah, I think I'll talk about Me Too issues in the workplace today or Black Lives Matter." So, so they're doing they're doing this for some reasons. So let's talk about that, about the positive reasons and why companies are 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 walking this very. Ten tenuous path and what the potential rewards are for the organizations, why they might have a vested interest in, in making this part of their business strategy. Sure. Um, I think the, the leading reason to do this is because you can make a difference. Um, now that requires often doing more than just taking, you know, putting out a press statement or something like mm -hmm. that but it does require following through. And there are lots of ways companies can follow through with their own internal policies, with dialogue with their employees. Um, they can follow through in the products and services they offer. 
They can follow through in corporate citizenship activities, um, making contributions to nonprofit organizations, working with local governments on criminal justice reform and so forth. And they can follow through on their public policy positions. So there are lots of ways for companies, again, mindful of their own resources, mindful of you know, the scope of their business and so forth, right? You want some reasonable match between the two can in fact have a positive impact on society and thereby fulfill a broader broader mission in society and then simply returning, um, you know, value to your shareholders, right? Mm -hmm. Serving your stakeholders, serving society at large, serving the natural environment. So companies can make a difference. And along the way, um, what also happens, right, is you can, now there may be people who disagree with you, but if you take a principled and thoughtful stance, hopefully not as many as you might fear, um, and we've generally found that to be the case, by the way, the negative backlash from customers and employees tends to be less than companies anticipated when they take a principled stand. So that, that is interesting, mm -hmm. but there is some. Um, but frankly, for those, um, you know, your employees will feel a greater allegiance, greater engagement. Um, they will feel like they're working at a place that actually shares their values or is at least respectful of their values. We've seen with consumers that it may not be the make or break decision to buy because obviously product service quality and you know price and quality are the big determinants, but we have seen that you can get greater brand loyalty over time by taking, again, principled stands that are grounded in the company's values. So it can, in fact, have um, a positive uh, impact on your employees, your customers, your company's overall reputation. But it is critically important that you've got the credibility to speak to these issues and that you actually follow through. So there are rewards out there. Often they are long-term rewards. I mean, if you're talking about companies' commitments to address racial inequality in the United States, we will come out with a report in this coming up, but most companies are making commitments of five years or more indefinite. So these are long-term commitments. It's going to take a while to see significant progress. So in some ways, this is tricky for companies. There's a, there's a sort of long-term reward out there potentially in making a difference, but there are a lot of these short-term risks of stumbling right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, and it's really an extension of, it's just another component of sort of the, you know, employer, uh, the, the brand and the employer storytelling that's always happened. It's just, here's something new to talk about over the last several years, especially is this, um, you know, it's deeper than values. Yes, it's values, but how are we as a company putting those values into action? Mm -hmm. How will that resonate with candidates and or existing employees? And yeah, it is that long, it, it's that long-term journey. But, you know, I think the, the, the aspect of it that drives me crazy sometimes is, um, um, and I've heard it called woke washing um, mm -hmm. instead of some other term, but it's, you know, it's the tendency, whether from the the consumer side or the, you know, candidate employee side to just, um, again, you know, um, say what sounds good or you think will sound good or resonate and not have any of the depth behind it. And those internal values, um, those behaviors, those, this is how we really do things are, are not in alignment with the message. Um, so I think it's, you know, that's just always the key 
key to me is, is, is it real? Is it true? And, and that's where your employees are so important um, in helping to inform this process, identifying the issues, being a reality check yep. um, as to whether you can speak credibly to it and what you need to do to be able to speak credibly to it. Because if you're trying to attract diverse members to your senior management team, they're going to know right? Mm -hmm. Or whatever level of the organization, they're going to know whether this is authentic or not. And if they're hoodwinked on their way in, they're going to find out pretty darn soon. And then you're going to have an early departure, right? Yep. For reasons that you may not want. And then all of a sudden that does you more damage. So I think recognizing that it's this, these, these values have to be reflected in the thousands of micro decisions made every day by companies reflected in not just what's officially punished or rewarded, but what's unofficially tolerated. Yeah. You really have to have this reflected in, in that way. And, you know, that will take a while in many mm -hmm. cases, right? And it's okay mm -hmm. for it to take a little bit, right? You're mm -hmm. not going to be all perfect to everyone all of a sudden. But if mm -hmm. you're candid about this and say, look, this is where we're coming from. This is what we're working on now. And this is what we plan to work on in the next two to three, four, five years, whatever. Then I think you can, you know, you're being authentic, you're being transparent. And if someone chooses to work for you or not at that point, that's fine. But at least you will have done your best job letting them know where you are in the journey. Yep. Um, we've seen a couple of situations I, I mentioned in the pre-show. Um, and, and these are actually probably more than a year old now, but a couple of things that come to mind where employees were unhappy with their company's current stand on a specific issue. Um, and they took action um, essentially demonstrating or, or protesting or, or striking. You, you could probably use any of those terms interchangeably. But one example that I, that I mentioned in the pre-show was Wayfair in Boston, which was selling furniture to um, companies at the border. Um, so they were the, the, the employees viewed the immigration, the sale of, of furniture to the Immigration and Naturalization Board uh, as wrong. And there was a, a one day walkout of, of a couple thousand people. And we've seen similar issues um, in Google and other companies over things like facial recognition software sales. So you've got employees saying to the business, hey, we don't like this particular, we don't like this particular facet of our, even though selling furniture is what Wayfair does, or even though selling software is what, you know, Google, et cetera. So like, how, how do you, when you like, what do you do when you're an employer under uh, attack and so, or under pressure from your own employees? How do you respond to that? And um, are, are there other examples we might take a look at? Yeah, I mean, look, pressure from employees can come in all kinds of ways. Um, this is an area where a single letter from a single employee to the CEO can, in fact, change company policy. Mm. It's where when employee resource group speaks up or several of them speak up, it can have an impact. Um, employees also sometimes are uh, submitting shareholder proposals to be voted on at the annual, annual shareholders meeting, right? That's another way. And then, of course, there are these walkouts and other forms of broader protest. Think the best way to deal with these is try to get ahead of them. I mean, that's easier said than done. But having an ongoing dialogue with your employee resource groups about the issues that they care about, um, having um, not just doing occasional employee cultural surveys or engagement surveys, but actually 
um, sometimes even bringing in third parties to do a cultural audit where they come in and they really talk in a Chatham Master completely confidential setting with their employees about what it's like to work at the company. What are the issues that they are concerned about, not just in terms of their own work conditions, but about the company's practices. <clears throat> Getting that kind of information early on, so you have a bit of an early warning system, whether from your ERGs or from these um, ongoing, hopefully, cultural audits, um, those are ways to stay ahead of the curve a little bit. And then, you know, you, 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 like you want to do with your investors, um, you know, companies have learned this, you know, engaging with your investors, and, you know, involves a lot of listening and then, and being really candid in that. Okay, we hear you, but these are our concerns. And let's see if we can find a constructive way forward that we both agree with. You might wind up going divergent paths. You might not wind up being able to agree, but trying to find that common ground, listening, that can go an awful long way to diffusing a situation. And then if it does blow up, you could say, look, we tried. This is what we were doing. And you've already laid out your reasons. You've already battle tested those reasons in the dialogue with the, you know, the activist group of employees. So you're better prepared to, to, to speak more broadly to the topic. Mm -hmm. all, I, all, all excellent, all excellent advice for, <laughs> from where I sit. I think those are, that, that's definitely sort of the, some of the, that's some of the best practice stuff people should be looking at. Um, and, and, um, not listening is often the bane of, of uh, managerial existence. Mm -hmm. um, is, is there anything, uh, you mentioned shareholders, is there anything else right now in terms of like a, a new tactic or trend that we're seeing that, that sort of is innovative in this area or is, is, have we kind of already covered sort of the basic? Well, I think there are a couple issues um, that our companies are grappling with. Um, first of all, when we had a round table with companies on this, 100% of the companies who participated, there were about 100 of them, agreed that um, this is not going away. The pressure is only going to increase. And a few of the challenges that they uh, pointed to, one were being more proactive, second, which we talked about being more consistent, but two other challenges. One is addressing these issues on a global basis, because obviously the laws are different, the culture is different. Sometimes your local management refuses to acknowledge that there is an issue. So, um, you know, trying to tackle social issues at a global company on a global basis is challenging. Sometimes you, you know, again, rely not just on your local management, but employee resource groups, actually hear as much as you can from your employees about what the issues are, how to phrase them. If you're dealing with something like diversity, equity, and inclusion, you may want to begin with inclusion because that's a topic that everyone has a stake in. Everyone wants to be able to bring themselves to work, right? And then you can get into, okay, what does diversity mean in this territory? What does equity mean in this territory? And your conversation may wind up being more focused on the employee experience than it is on taking public policy stances. But again, you don't back away from your public policy stance. So that kind of international engagement is, I think, something that companies are still uh, grappling with, and frankly, it takes resources, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can't just parachute in and hope you're gonna, you know, once a year or something like that, and think you're gonna have your pulse on what's going on in Brazil, for example, right? It just doesn't work that yeah. way. <clears throat> Another area that's also a frontier for companies, this is a little more consumer facing, which, which is managing your brand responses. Like often your brands with your consumers will have a much closer emotional link 
than the parent company. You know, parent company may have this funky name that was invented by some consultant, you know, 20 years ago, but it's your brands that actually people recognize, right? But you don't necessarily want your kid's brand out there taking stand on Black Lives Matters before the parent company. That may not be appropriate. So coordinating the responses between the parent company and your individual brands is also uh, a challenge for companies. You need to have guidelines, rules of the road. And that's not to say no brand can speak until the parent company speaks, but at least give a heads up to corporate HQ and then frankly learn from your brands and their interactions because that could help inform how you phrase things in the future at corporate headquarters. Mm -hmm. We're we're down to our last five minutes or so. Robin, did you have a did you have a qu final question? Um, you know, one thing I was thinking about, and we referenced we referenced them a, a bit ago, um, and that was Coca Cola, who you know, um, in addition to um, some other things that they've gone through, um, you know, they went through an issue earlier this year where some internal training documents were screen grabbed, screen captured by apparently the current employees and then shared out, made it, made quite a big splash um, in certain media outlets. And it became just this backlash uh, against some internal, basically diversity and inclusion training that was being done. Um, what's, you know, it, 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 I think those things happen more and more. You've got these sort of internal whistleblowers, if you will, um, who are uh, feeling a certain way about the stance that their company has taken around an issue or how that's trickled down to their day-to-day -day, day -day job. Um, how, you know, I, you, you're never gonna stop that. Um, the, the particular piece I saw was somebody was sitting probably at home on a Zoom screen and took a, took a picture, right, of this, internal document. Um, what's a response to, from companies when, when it's something like that? I, I know in this case, what Coca-Cola did was they ultimately did put out a press release. You know, this was some, some content we, we got from LinkedIn Learning. No, it was not mandatory. It was part of this curriculum, but they were scrambling to kind of explain themselves. Um, yeah, and, and there's no way of avoiding some of that scrambling some of the time, right? Yeah. At a big company, people will be doing things that you didn't expect or that you didn't think there'd be a backlash to. I mean, on top of polarization, we are operating in a world where anything you do or don't do will be known, right? Right, right. Media. So assume, sort of like emails, your lawyers will tell you, assume that anything you put in email will show up in front of the one person in the world you don't want to see, it, right? And so I think companies need to be mindful of that, but not obviously not paralyzed by that. Right. Um, but look, this this you're, what you're touching on is as companies play a broader role in addressing social and environmental challenges um, facing our world, they have to recognize that they've got to build the internal capabilities to handle this broader role. Um, and that involves understanding the transition for what it means for your C-suite executives to operate in a stakeholder-focused and not a stockholder-focused world, um, what it means for your culture, what it means for all of your reports, what it means for your processes, what it means for your training. So 
companies that recognize that this shift is underway and start to build this notion of stakeholder consciousness or more broadly sustainability into all of their practices, and I'll take time, are really gonna be in a better position to address these issues going forward because otherwise you're always going to be scrambling. But mm -hmm. building these things into the, to what you do every day at the company will I think, will I think help. Yeah. And treat it as seriously as risk management, treat it as seriously as cyber. I mean, these are, these, are, these are critical issues that you know, you've got to put the resources behind. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, I, think, I think that we're gonna have to probably leave it there as far as, as, far as the conversation. So Paul, thanks so much for joining us on Drive Through. This was very, uh, very fascinating for me. I, I love this, this topic yeah. and we could definitely go on and maybe, you know, maybe in six months or so we can, we can revisit with you and kind of, kind of take our temperature and see where we're at. Cause things are definitely going to stay hot. Um, I guess to close, um, I, sorry, Robin, go ahead. Oh yeah. I just also wanted to give Paul a quick shout out because I think he is probably in um, about the whatever, what are we on year 13 of doing shows? He's probably our only guest that has get this clerked at the Supreme Court of the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> I read that, but I, I was, I wasn't going to hold that against him. No, it's not, <laughs> no, you're, background your your bio is very impressive paul um we're and, and with that to end um so I, I guess we'll end with this um this show is being recorded um so it'll go live about as soon as i can put it put it up on uh on our normal platform so probably about five o'clock this afternoon but um it will also be listened to mostly by people who download it paul so for those who may want to reach out to you or talk, you know, get glean more information or get in touch with you, um, can you share how, how they might best do that? Sure. Um, first, I'd suggest if people are interested in these topics, they may want to read um, the reports we've recently issued. One is under <coughs> microscope, and that talks about corporate political activity. The other is um, choosing wisely how companies can make a uh, decisions and a difference on social issues. It's also available online at um, the conference board website, conferenceboard.org. Um, and if they want to reach out more directly, um, I think that they can, you know, I'm at paul.washington at tcb.org. Great. Um, and also we'll include those, the links to those, um, those reports in our show notes. So when the episode goes live, those will be available. Um, I want to thank you again for being on drive through HR and I'm going to go ahead and, and, end the show, Paul and Robin have a great week and I'll talk to you next time. All great. right. Thanks so much. It was Thanks, great everybody. Time with you. Thanks everyone for Thanks. listening to drive through HR.